Before we get started in our message for this morning, our study, let's have a word of prayer together. So please bow your heads with me. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for all your wonderful love and care for us. We thank you for your wonderful blessings. We thank you for the blessing of the Sabbath that you made a day that you could spend with us and, and us with you. And uh, that we may be blessed by your presence and the presence of holy angels. We may rest from our works and uh, be devoted entirely to giving you praise. Father, we thank you for the wonderful care that you've given to us, the necessities of life, the homes that we have, the friends we have, the, the family, the church family. We thank you especially for Jesus and forgiveness of sins through his blood. We thank you for his life of righteousness. And Father, we thank you for your holy word. We pray for the Holy Spirit to be given to us this morning as we, we take a look at what you have to say about this sifting process that you have to prepare us for what's soon to come upon the world and for Jesus' second coming. I humbly ask that you give me the words to speak, and may hearts be ready to listen and to have understanding and be able to share this truth with all, so they too may be prepared, and we all can be together on that day when Jesus comes to take us home. We thank you for hearing this prayer. We ask it in the name of Jesus, who is worthy. Amen. Well, friends, when I was very young, I remember being in the kitchen with my mom as she was getting ready to make pie crust, and, and she would take flour... And she would pour it into this funny-looking gadget that looked like a, a number 10 can. You know what I'm talking about? Those big cans. And it had a weird le uh, lever-type handle on the side. And then she would spin that lever uh, several times, and the flour would come out of the bottom of the can. And I remember being amazed by this, and likened it to some kind of magic process that, that had to be done before you know, you could use the flour. And I asked Mom what she was doing, and she said she was sifting the flour. And I asked what it did, and she said that it removed the bad parts and made the flour fluffy for baking. Now, I didn't really understand it at the time, as I was very young, but I was amazed to watch her do this. It was like a magic show. And you really don't see this sifting done much anymore, as the process of Milling flour is so much better today, but they used to grind flour with a millstone, and sometimes pieces of stone would break off and be found in the flour. So you'd go through this sifting process before you use the flour. You might crack a tooth when eating your bread. But what is this sifting process? What exactly does sifting mean? Well, Webster's 1828... Uh, dictionary, the 1828 um, issue, defines sifting as separating the finer from the coarser parts, critically examining. And I really like that part, critically examining. It sounds a lot like the judgment process, the judgment of God, doesn't it? Critically examining our life's record. Did you know that the Bible talks about sifting? Did you know that before Jesus returns, his people will go through a complete 
sifting process. We're very close to the return of our Lord, and this process is something that I think we need to understand because it actually prepares us to be citizens of the kingdom. Let's begin by looking at Amos chapter 9 and see what the Bible describes as a sifting. We can read about this sifting uh, both in the Old and New Testament, but Amos chapter 9 verses 8 to 10 is a prophecy especially, my friends, about the last days, the, the days that we are living in according to God's word. Now the Lord said he's going to have a sifting that is going to involve everybody in the world. Everybody. Let's look at this. Amos 9, beginning with verse 8. Behold, the eyes of the Lord God are upon the sinful kingdom, and I will destroy it from off the face of the earth, saving that I will not utterly destroy the house of Jacob, saith the Lord. For lo, I will command and I will sift the house of Israel among all nations, like as corn is sifted in a sieve, yet shall not the least grain fall upon the earth. All the sinners of my people shall die by the sword, which say, The evil shall not overtake nor prevent us. This prophecy, this prophecy found here in Amos 9, says that Israel will be scattered among all nations, and and they're tossed about in the sieve of affliction and persecution that it might be determined through this trial and these trials, friends, who will remain loyal followers of God and who will cleave to the heathen and refuse to return from that captivity. We too will go through the sieve of affliction, you see, and persecution to see if we will remain loyal followers of Jesus and see Him at His coming. So we're all going to go through this this process, this sifting process. Another text in the Old Testament about this sifting is found in the book of Isaiah. If we go to chapter 30 in the book of Isaiah, beginning with verse 28, notice what we read here. It says, And his breath, as an overflowing stream, shall reach to the midst of the neck, to sift the nations with the sieve of vanity. That's interesting. Shall reach to the midst of the neck. You ever hear that expression? They're breathing down their neck. Breathing down their neck. Isn't it interesting? So, that goes along here with what's being said. To sift the nations with the sieve of vanity. And there shall be a bridle in the jaws of the people, causing them to err. Ye shall have a song as in the night when a holy solemnity is kept. And gladness of heart as when one goeth with a pipe to come into the mountain of the Lord, to the mighty one of Israel. And the Lord shall cause his glorious voice to be heard, and shall show the lighting down of his arm with the indignation of his anger, and with the flame of a devouring devouring fire, with scattering and tempest and hailstones. It's pretty amazing here. This also is a prophecy about the last days. Again, the days the Bible tells us that we're living in right now. Ellen White, very interestingly, applies verses 29-30 to the protection that God's people are going to have and to the deliverance they will have at midnight, about the time of the sixth plague. But just before that, in verse 28, we're told what is going to happen just before that time of the sixth plague. There's going to be a great sifting 
in the world. Now, I want to look at several aspects of the sifting process uh, with you this morning, friends. First of all, the sifting does what? It separates, right? It separates the wheat from the chaff. And secondly, the sifting is not something that just happens once and happens in an instance. It's a process. It's a process that happens repeatedly. We have to go through a sifting that takes place over and over and over again, and we have to endure it, and we have to last through it. Now, there are examples given us in the Bible of times when there was a sifting that took place over and over and again and again and again. Now, I want you to notice the statement about this process of the sifting that went on over and over again when Jesus was here, specifically when Jesus was here. It's found in Testimonies for the Church, volume 5, page 129. Notice this statement. He that is not with me, said Christ, is against me. It is wholehearted, thoroughly decided men and women who will stand now. Christ sifted his followers again and again until at one time there remained only eleven and a few faithful women to lay the foundation of the Christian church. That's an interesting statement, isn't it? Was there a time when Christ had thousands of followers? Yes, there was. Then what happened? Then a sifting process began. And did it happen just once? No, it was a process, you see. It was a process that took place over and over and over again. Now, you cannot do something again, can you, until you have done it at least one time, right? And by the time Jesus got done sifting his followers through this process, astonishingly, he only had 11 men left. Though there were, at one time, thousands of people who followed him. In fact, in John chapter 6, one of the great sifting times, it says that multitudes forsook him. Let's go there, John chapter 6. We'll begin with uh, verse 66 of John 6. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Look at verse 67. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will ye also go away? So, here's this great departure because of this sifting process. And Jesus looks at the, the remnant there, what's left, and he says, Will ye also go away? Verse 68, Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered them, Have not I chosen you twelve? And one of you is a devil. He spake of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for he it was that should betray him, being one of the twelve. So there had been multitudes following him, following Jesus, but not only did they not follow him anymore, they sent out messengers against him, trying to keep anyone else from following him. So Jesus intimated right there that even among the twelve there was one more that was going to leave. Is that what he was saying? And did that happen? 
Yes, that happened. So he sifted them over and over until there were only 11 left along with some faithful women, the Bible tells us. So sifting is not just a one-time thing. It, it, it's, a, it's a process. Not only in real life is it a, can be a process, but in spiritual life it is a process. It separates the wheat from the chaff and it takes place not just once, but over and over again. And wheat can be sifted and lost. Did you know that? Let's read about that in the New Testament, the words of Jesus himself. Let's go to Luke chapter 22. Now remember when we read earlier that none of that the wheat would be lost when the Lord was speaking that. None of the grain would be lost. But the wheat can be lost. Because spiritually speaking, we all have a choice that we can make during this process. But let's look at what Jesus said himself. Luke 22, beginning with verse 31. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. That's an interesting statement there. When thou art converted. Isn't it? But let me ask you, did, did Peter get sifted? Yes, he sure surely did get sifted. Let's go back to the Testimonies for the Church, this time volume 4, page 246. Notice what she says here. The great reason why so many professed disciples of Christ fall into grievous temptation and make work for repentance is that they are deficient in a knowledge of themselves. It's true, friends. We we really don't know ourselves uh, very well, do we? And she says here, she says, Here is where Peter was so thoroughly sifted by the enemy. Here is where thousands will make shipwreck of faith. You do not take your wrongs and errors to heart and afflict your souls over them. I entreat you to purify your souls by how? She says, by obeying the truth, by being obedient. To the truth of God. She says, connect yourselves with heaven. And may the Lord save you from self-deceptions. Or self-deception. And so friends, if you get sifted out, you are in a lost condition. Peter was in a lost condition that night he denied his Lord. You cannot go to heaven, friends, denying the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 32, Jesus says, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. So you see, friends, Peter was in a lost condition at that time. And the Lord had mercy on Peter, though, see? Because remember, he said, the devil has... Um, come to sift him. And he said, when you are converted, Peter. Right? And so the Lord showed mercy on Peter. He didn't allow his probation to close right then when Peter was in a lost condition. And so when you think about this, I mean, maybe there have been uh, a time in our lives, friends, when we were in a lost condition too. And if the Lord had allowed us to drop dead or to die, let's say, in a car accident, right at that moment, we too would have been lost. 
But the Lord chose to give us another opportunity. And there are thousands of reasons for us to praise the Lord because of that, aren't there? The Lord gave Peter another chance. How many chances has He given us? And speaking for myself, I know thousands of chances. So meditate on that. Meditate on the wonderful mercy of God for each one of us. Let me ask you a question. And think about this seriously. Can God keep on infinitely giving you or me another opportunity? In other words, if you get sifted again, the Lord gives you another opportunity. Let me ask you, how long can that continue? Can it continue forever? Well, no, friends, it can't go on forever. There has to come a time when this sifting process ends. It'll end at varying times for each individual, but there will come a time when probation closes on humanity, friends. So what have we learned so far? Who is going to be sifted? Well, we read in Isaiah 30 that the whole world is going to be sifted. And we know the church is going to be sifted, right? It says in the book, Maranatha, page 48, every true child of God will be sifted as wheat. So it's not just the the world that's going to get sifted, but God's people are going to be sifted also. Amos 9 says that every child of God, and that's you and that's me, we're going to be sifted. Right? So what's going to happen to us in this sifting process? If we look back at um, the book Maranatha, page 48, it says, and listen to this, it says, In the sifting process, every cherished pleasure that diverts the mind from God must be sacrificed. So something has to happen to us in this sifting process if we're going to survive it. Right? The sifting process, it separates the wheat and the chaff. And if you get sifted out, Remember, you're in a lost condition until you get back in the sieve. Peter got back into the sieve. The Lord gave him another chance. But the Lord cannot give you or me or anyone else more and more chances forever because the time's coming when the work is going to be finished and this world is going to end. And so we have to learn to go through the sifting without getting sifted out. And we're all going to be sifted. (laughs) See? We're all going to go through this process. And when is this sifting going to happen? When is this process going to happen? Well, there are really uh, two answers to that. Um, Remember that we saw that Jesus sifted his followers again and again. And it's a process. And when you ask when is the sifting going to take place, well, the first answer is it's taking place now, right? From Testimonies for the Church, Volume 4, page 51. Notice this statement. God is now sifting His people, testing their purposes and their motives. Many will be as chaff. No wheat, no value in them. Ugh, makes you shudder, doesn't it? I hope that I'm not a part of those, you know, the chaff, found to be chaffed and sifted out. I hope you aren't either. But there's also a second answer to that question. So we know that the sifting 
uh, is going to happen and it's happening now. But there's a second answer to that question. We're not done with the sifting process yet. The sifting is going to become more severe right at the end of time. And when you study the life of Jesus and you and you study the, the sifting process, the process that we're looking at now, if you follow Jesus through his ministry during the first few months, he spent that time mainly in Judea. Right? So he, he spent months in Judea, but he was rejected in Judea. And he, he spent most of the part of the year working mainly in Judea, and he was rejected in Judea, so what did he do? He went to Galilee. And you can read about that in John chapter 4. He had a Galilean ministry that was very successful for just, oh, a little over uh, a year. In the cities of Bethsaida and Capernaum and some of these large cities in Galilee, they accepted him for a while, and it looked like the whole country was going to turn to him and follow him. But that didn't happen. Jesus brought on another sifting experience. And that is when they turned away from him. And that, that again, is in John chapter 6. And then in John 7, you can read how his own family didn't believe in him, see? And are you aware what finally happened in the last few weeks of, of the life of Jesus before he was crucified? During that period of time in Galilee, they had rejected him. And remember, Judea had rejected him. And finally, during the last weeks of his life, Jesus was, mainly he was in seclusion. And it wasn't that he refused to see people. <laughs> uh, the Bible says there were many people who came to him, and he ministered to them. But he had been rejected all over the country, you see, until his followers numbered only 11. 11 men and a few faithful women. So when you ask the question as to when the sifting occurs, well, it's happening right now. But it will also become more and more severe, this process. Let's take a, a look at one statement concerning that. It's found in Selected Messages, Volume 3, uh, page 384. It says... All the policy in the world cannot save us from a terrible sifting. And all the efforts made with high authorities will not lift from us the scourging of God, just because sin is cherished. If as a people we do not keep ourselves in the faith and not only advocate with pen and voice the commandments of God, but keep them every one, not violating a single precept knowingly, then weakness and ruin will come upon us. So what's going to happen to some Adventists if we do not practice what is preached? Well, two things are going to happen. She says right here, weakness and ruin are going to come upon us. So friends, we need to understand this topic very well. And let's not reject the sifting process. It's for our best good, isn't it? How does the sifting take place? Remember, we're we are using something that is physical to explain something that is spiritual. Physically, you can take a sieve and separate the chaff from the wheat. When, when we are talking about a spiritual sifting, though, how does it take place? 
Well, the sifting takes place when you're brought into contact with temptation. We all know what temptation is. When you have a strong motivation to do something that's wrong. Well, let me ask you, friends, do you have temptations? The person who gets sifted out is a person who yields, you see, to temptation and does not get the victory over that temptation. And that's the most general statement I suppose you could make about the sifting process. So we read that the world will be sifted and that the church will be sifted. It is interesting that Ellen White mentioned a number of specific things, friends, that I want to share with you that would happen in Adventism that would bring about a sifting. Again, I'll mention what they are. You think about whether they're happening now or not. Here are some things that she mentions. Um, specifically about what will happen in this process in Adventism that will bring about a sifting. Okay, The first one is fanaticism. The testimony of Jesus says fanaticism would result in a sifting. And you can read that in many places, oh, like the book The Great Controversy. Well, what is fanaticism? Let me try to define it as simply as I know how. Fanaticism is taking God's Word and saying you believe it, but you go beyond what it says. You will either add to it or take away from its plain teachings for whatever reason. See? That's fanatical. One of the primary groups of people in the time of Christ who had become fanatical in their thinking and their practices was the Pharisees, right? There are some Christians who have not studied this issue very carefully, and they think Jesus, you know, didn't keep the Sabbath. Because Jesus did not keep the Sabbath according to the Pharisees' rules. But they don't, they don't read that. They don't understand that. Jesus kept the Sabbath according to the law of Moses, but he didn't keep the Sabbath according to the Pharisees' rules. For instance, the Pharisees had a rule that was directly contrary to the Bible. In the Old Testament, it said that if you were passing by your neighbor's field, and the field was ripe, you could take the fruit you needed to eat. Now, it says you cannot take it and put it in a container. That would be stealing But if you are hungry and you pass by your neighbor's field and you see apples or whatever, you can take one and you can eat it. That's in Deuteronomy chapter 23. Now the disciples did that one day. But the Pharisees said that rule does not apply to the Sabbath. But friends, nowhere does the Bible say that it doesn't apply to the Sabbath. You can read in Matthew 12 where the Pharisees came to Jesus because the disciples had passed through a field and had taken some grain and rubbed it in their hands and eaten it. And the Pharisees told Jesus, you know, your disciples are doing that which is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. But Jesus explained to them that his disciples were guiltless. You see, because the the Pharisees had added a man-made rule to the actual commandment. And when you look at Paul's ministry, Paul had to fight this during his entire ministry, this mindset, this this adding to and taking away, this fanaticism. Let's go to Colossians chapter 2. We'll begin with verse 20. It says, Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, 
Why, as though living in the world, are ye subject to ordinances? Touch not, taste not, handle not, which all are to perish with the using, after the commandments and doctrines of men. Which things have indeed a show of wisdom in all worship and humility and neglecting of the body, not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. So, Paul says, don't have anything to do with this man-made religion. You see, they add to things, right? You're subject to ordinances. You know, like don't touch this, don't taste that, don't handle that. And that's what Paul's saying. They're, they're fanatical. And, and there are only two kinds of religion in the world, right? Only two churches. We, we've been studying this. We studied it out. People think there are hundreds of kinds of religion in the world, but there really are only two. There is a religion that's based on the Word of God, and there's a religion that is based on the Word of Man. Fanaticism is based on the Word of Man. Oh, someone says, it's not my Word. Our church got together and wrote a book, and that's authoritative because the church said so. Well, let me tell you something. No church has authority that supersedes the Word of God, the Bible. The Bible says that Christ is the head of the church, and it is through the Holy Spirit that the Holy Bible is inspired. I mean, look at Ephesians 5 or 2 Timothy 3. It tells us plainly. This Bible is the written Word of God. And the true body of Christ cannot go contrary to the head, who is Christ. Can your body go contrary to your head? No. But fanaticism is one of the ways that the church is being sifted today. This is what Ellen White has told us. We have, friends, we have more fanaticism today than at any time, I mean in my memory. Now, it is dangerous to talk about these things because you don't know who's going to be offended, you see. But let me ask you, beloved, is your faith based on the Word of God? Do you know the Word of God? Are you living according to the book? Or does your religion have man-made rules? A man-made religion, as Paul says, and he says in Colossians 2, he says we're not to have anything to do with them. He says don't touch it, don't handle it, or you'll be taken in by deceptive theory. He says those things are of no value to your real Christian experience and they will not help you to withstand temptation. We had an example in our church in, in Battle Creek. A, a man came in with a fanaticism of, concerning the Godhead. And friends, we took Paul's counsel here. We said very plainly to this, this um, poor deceived man, um, we're not to touch, we're not even to listen to this. We invite him, you can worship with us, but we're not going to speak about this subject. Showed him very plainly in the Bible what it had to say about that subject and said, that's enough for us. <laughs> we believe it. It's God's Word. And we never, sad to say, we never saw the man again. We hope and pray for the man's salvation that he's come to his senses. Well, that's not our primary subject fanaticism, but before we leave it, let's look at one more statement about it. And beloved, this is something we need to study very carefully. If any of us 
have been taken in by fanatical ideas, and, and I'm telling you, there are a lot of people who have. We have to study this out, because if we we don't overcome this, we're going to lose our citizenship in the kingdom. We'll lose eternal life. From the book Early Writings, page 62, oh, 63, around in there. Notice this. She says, I saw that some who have formerly run deep into fanaticism would be the first now to run before God sends them, before they are purified from their past errors. Having error mixed with the truth, they would feed the flock of God with it, and if they were suffered to go on, the flock would become sickly, and distraction and death would follow. I saw that they would have to be sifted and sifted until they were freed from all their errors, or they could never enter the kingdom. Friends, that's a, that's a shocking statement. Because I know people who have all kinds of errors mixed up with truth. And what does this statement say? I have to be sifted and sifted until those errors are out of my mind. Because if I hang on to them and don't let loose, I'm not going to enter the kingdom. So, let me ask you, is fanaticism dangerous? Well, friends, it's dangerous enough to keep you out of the kingdom of heaven if you hold on to it. Now, we must all be humble, and we must be meek and gentle, uh, bright, just like our Savior. We must be willing to accept anything that's written in God's Word. And this is where we run into problems, isn't it? A lot of times we, we just have a hard time with things that the Lord wants us to do. And that's self within us. Uh, not wanting to die. Wanting to have uh, the throne of our heart. And fanaticism, it's very dangerous, friends. But we're going to have to be sifted of it. One big fanaticism fanaticism I know that's just wafting through Adventism right now is in keeping the old Jewish customs like the feast days and such. Friends, in humility, I want to tell you seriously, in all humility, if you keep those feast days, that is an insult to God. And you're going to have to face that in the Day of Judgment. You are insulting the Lord by what you're doing. It'll keep you out of the kingdom of heaven, friends. It really will. You cannot insult the Lord all the days of your life and go to the kingdom of heaven. You cannot do it. So you see, friends, you have to overcome this fanaticism. The Apostle Paul dealt with this issue as plainly as you can deal with it in the book of Galatians. And I covered this before. In fact, in Galatians, he told the people that anybody that hangs on to these Jewish customs was to be disfellowshipped from the church. So, friends, this is really, really serious. Some have said to me, well, it's not really a salvational issue, so it's okay to keep these things. Well, I have to tell you, friends, according to the Apostle Paul and other places, the Bible says that it is a salvational issue, and you need to understand that it is. The devil has come in again with all kinds of fanatical ideas, and friends, don't think that we are all going to the same place, because we're not. If we hold on to man-made ideas and traditions, we are going to be sifted out of God's church and the kingdom. Now, there's another cause 
for sifting in Adventism that's related to fanaticism, and that's heresy. I'm going to read you something from Testimonies for the Church, Volume 5, pages 707-708. Notice this. God will arouse His people. If other means fail... Heresies will come in among them, which will sift them, separating the chaff from the wheat. The Lord calls upon all who believe His word to um, awake out of sleep. Precious light has come, appropriate for this time. It is Bible truth, showing the perils that are right upon us. This light should lead us to be a, a diligent study lead us to a diligent study of the Scriptures and a most critical examination of the positions which we hold. God would have all the bearings and positions of truth thoroughly and perseveringly searched with prayer and fasting. Believers are not to rest in suppositions and ill-defined ideas of what constitutes truth. Their faith must be firmly founded upon the Word of God so that when the testing time shall come, and they are brought before councils to answer for their faith, they may be able to give a reason for the hope that is within them with meekness and fear. But friends, God wants you and me to be awake spiritually. And if He cannot wake us up any other way, He will allow heresies to come in to sift His people so we will wake up. We see example upon example upon example throughout the, the Bible. God wants you to be able to go to any court, any legislature, any branch of government and explain to them why you believe what you believe. Why do you believe Jesus is coming soon? What do you believe is necessary to get ready for His coming? Does the Bible give you the answer to those questions? Can you explain it to us? Well, friends, God wants you to be able to explain it. Can we explain to people what we believe? Do we know from this book, this Bible, what we believe? And if we don't, the Lord's going to allow heresies to come in that will cause the sifting. So we read that Jesus sifted his followers again and again. And we read that the devil sifts people. But Jesus also sifts people. Jesus does not sift people with heresy or fanaticism. How does Jesus himself sift people? Well, this is very interesting. Jesus sifts people with the truth. <laughs> right? We were just talking about being sifted by fanaticism and being sifted by heresy, and now you're saying, I can be sifted by the truth? Yes, friends, that's right. The difference is, the heresy or the fanaticism sifts you if you accept it. Truth sifts you if you reject it. In Matthew 12 and verse 30, Christ said that, He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. The plain words of truth, friends, spoken by our Savior, sifted his followers. He sifted them down to a few faithful ones who laid the foundation, actually, of the Christian church. Jesus wanted people who were thoroughly converted. He didn't want somebody who, who was half-hearted. 
So he applied a sifting test over and over again to sift out people who were half-hearted. And when he started, there were thousands of people who followed him, remember? Read the Gospels. When he began his ministry, thousands of people flocked to wherever he was. They followed him. Many who were wealthy and honorable and educated, when they listened to the teachings of Christ, they were charmed by them. They had a desire to follow him. Why did they leave him? Because Jesus did something that sifted them out. Do you know what he did to sift them out? There's a saying among preachers, at least there used to be, that it is when you make religion practical that you start stepping on people's toes. You know, as long as you're dealing in theological theories, then it's all right. But when you start making it practical, asking how does this work out in my everyday life, then people get offended. And that's what Jesus did. And those people stopped following the Savior because he brought it into their life. Notice this from a Review and Herald article, December 2nd, 1875. When the truth, in its practical bearings, was brought home to their hearts and lives, they drew back and walked no more with Jesus. You see, Jesus made the truth practical. And that's the whole purpose, isn't it? Isn't that why he came here? He wants to change us. He wants to bring us back into His image. So there has to be changes made. Which means it has to be practical. It has to be a part of our very life. It can't just be, uh, you know, theories and theoretical and theological. It has to be practical. Well, let's look at an example. As long as Jesus was dealing with theology and teaching, remember, this rich young ruler said, Hey, I'm all in harmony with with this Savior. And he said to Jesus, I've done all that. What do I lack yet? So what happened? Jesus got very practical with this rich young ruler. You see, this man had an idol in his heart, and there was something that he loved more than the kingdom of heaven. He didn't know it was there. See? Jesus could read the hearts. He didn't know himself, this young ruler. He didn't know that there was something that he loved more. And here's the scary thing about the sifting. The sifting makes evident what is in our hearts, you see, friends, that maybe we didn't even know was there. So Jesus said to this young man, if you want to be perfect, you go home, you sell your possessions, and you come and you follow me. If you do that, you'll have treasure in heaven instead of the other way around. You find that in Luke 18. So Jesus applies the sifting process with this young man. This man either is going to go one way or or he's going to go another way. The choice has been brought to him. And that's what the sifting does. It separates the wheat from the chaff. So he had this choice. Did he have to be sifted out? Well, no, because it was a choice. And that's what Jesus brings to us, friends, when he brings us the truth. We then have a choice to make. And so, you know, you think about this story, 
in this story, um, especially, let's say, from the standpoint of the millennium. Looking back to that day, when that young man made that decision, what, have been, what would have been the smart thing to do? Well, the smart thing to do would have been to put everything for sale as quick as you could, right? Give it to the poor and get with the Lord to do exactly what Jesus said to do. Now, let me ask you this question. Think about that when we're reflecting on this. Did, did that rich young ruler, did he have an infinite amount of time to be with the Lord? No. Because at the, at the current time that this was taking place, that was in the latter part of, of Jesus' ministry. And, and he only had probably a matter of months at the most that he could have spent with Jesus. He only had a little time. And this invitation Jesus gave him was very wonderful. Jesus was giving him the same invitation that he gave to Peter, James, and John. And what did they do? They accepted it, didn't they? But what sifted out the young ruler? The practical application of the truth. And that still happens, friends. That still happens. It happens all the time. You know, in Jesus' day, there were people that loved theological truth. But when he made the truth practical, they got angry. They got mad. Have you ever seen that happen? Oh, I believe the seventh day is the Sabbath. That's what the Bible teaches. I believe that when the dead die, they go to sleep. They are unconscious. That's what the Bible teaches. I believe that Jesus is coming soon. That's what the Bible teaches. I believe in the teaching of the heavenly sanctuary as it's taught in Hebrews. I believe in the writings of Ellen White and that she was a prophet of God. People believe until you open one of those books, one of those books of Ellen White, and read something that steps on their toes and then everything changes. One of the ways Adventists are being sifted today is not just by heresy and not by fanaticism, friends, it is by the truth in its practical bearings. It's when truth becomes practical, when we realize how it affects the way we should talk and the way we need to eat and the way we need to conduct our family and, and what we need to do with our money and how we need to order our lives. When it got practical, this rich young ruler demonstrated what was in his heart when that sifting test was applied. He demonstrated that he loved those possessions that he had more than he loved the kingdom of heaven and being with Jesus. And friends, before time is over, every single one of us will go through the very same test and demonstrate which way we're going to go. We're going to show the whole universe what we love the most and do you know why because right at the end those people who sacrificed all for christ will be secured you see they all have done what peter and john did they left everything and followed jesus well there's another way the sifting works on god's people so far, we have looked at fanaticism and heresy and the, the practical application of the truth in one's life. And this, this one, though, it has to do with temptation. 
from the Seventh-day Adventist Bible Commentary, Volume 6, page 1102. Ellen White knows what she says. The world is the instrument that sifts the church and tests the genuineness of its members. The world. (laughs) How does the world sift God's people? Well, the world holds out inducements, doesn't it? But you have to compromise something to get it. So you get tested as to who and what you love the most, don't you? And by the way, here's a test that you can apply to yourself every week. And nobody else needs to know about it. Let's say, on the Sabbath day, if on the Sabbath day the thoughts of the world that have been going through your mind all week are so uppermost in your mind that you can't can't get them out, and you cannot spend that time with the Lord, well, friends, let me tell you, there's a problem. Now, you don't need to tell me about it, all right? I just want you to think about it. And you don't need to tell your husband or wife about it, but you'd better talk to the Lord about it if you have that problem, because you're not ready for the sifting test. And why does God put us through all this? You know, I've wondered that from time to time as I go through my tests. Why does God put me through this? Well, friends, I'm reminded that Jesus wants to know where our heart is. And He wants to know where your heart is. He wants to be able to show all creation that it's safe for you to be a citizen in the kingdom of God. And this is the reason He applies a sifting test. Notice this from Spiritual Gifts, Volume 2, page 201. God is sifting His people. He will have a clean, holy people. We cannot read the heart of man, but He has provided means to keep the church pure. She goes on to say that a corrupt people have arisen, and if the Lord had not made a way to get them out of the church, the church would suffer the wrath of God. Now think that through. If corrupt, open sin, is allowed to stay in the church, then the wrath of God will come upon that church. Think it through, friends. Because there are people today in Adventism that will tell you, regardless of open sin in the church, that they're going through. The church is going through to the end. Friends, if there is open sin in that church, we've just been told, that church will receive the wrath of God. Think it through. One of the reasons God puts us through the sifting test, beloved, is because He wants people who are pure and holy. He's in the business of purifying people. (laughs) See? Look at what it says in Revelation chapter 2. And specifically verse 23. First, let's look at it in the King James Version. We're going to look at it in the King James Version. And this verse is a... It's a very interpretive translation. See, the translators are trying to make this text make sense. Okay? So, let's look at it. This is from the King James Version. Revelation 2, verse 23. It says, And I will kill her children with death, And all the churches shall know that I am he which searcheth the reins and hearts, and I will give unto every one of you according to your works. So in the old King James Version, 
it uses the word reigns there. Now, in the New King James Version, this same verse says, I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your works. So it says there, I search the minds and hearts. So what is the sifting for? Well, God wants to know what is in our hearts. Well, he already knows, but he's going to arrange affairs so that you will reveal it to everybody in the whole universe, and that is what the sifting's all about. You will see yourself and be able to take uh, um, steps to correct that through the grace of God, and it will be revealed to the whole universe. See? Now, in ancient times, people had various theories about where your emotions were located in your body. Have you ever heard the uh, biblical expression called uh, bowels of mercies? That is because they thought your emotions were located in your intestinal system. And another place they thought your thoughts and feelings, your emotions were located, was in your kidneys. Now I want you to notice what Revelation 2 and chapter 23 says in the Greek Bible. It says, I am the one who searches the kidneys and the hearts. Okay? So we've seen it from the King James Version, we've seen it from the New King James Version, and here's the Greek Bible. Well, what is the Lord trying to tell people? <laughs> well, God is searching the inner part of our being. He's searching our thoughts, our feelings, our emotions. He wants to know what is in there. Not for His own benefit. I mean, He knows. But He wants the universe to see it. He wants you to know and make your choice, and then he wants the universe to see it. If the whole universe is going to make a decision whether you're going to have eternal life or eternal death, how is that decision going to be made? Well, the Lord says, I'm going to sift you. I'm going to apply sifting tests, and these people are going to reveal to the whole universe what is actually inside. So, friends, are you ready to have Revealed what is in your heart? <laughs> Boy, I'm not. I shudder. And I fall upon the mercy of God. My friends, do you want a heart that's right? I want a heart that's right. The universe can see what is in your heart and it will be all right because you're pure. See, you've gone through this process. You love God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind and you love your neighbor as yourself and you're not embarrassed or ashamed for anyone to know about it. Is your heart right with God? Well, friends, we're living in a time when we need to look at our hearts and say, Lord... Prepare me to pass the sifting test. Make me pure and true. What condition is your heart in today, friends? Have you yielded to Jesus, your body and your soul? You know, that's the only way that you can pass the sifting test is if you've made a complete dedication to Jesus. If you have surrendered everything to Him. Friends, you cannot have peace and rest. You cannot have eternal life until you've made a surrender of your heart and everything you have to Jesus. God is a searcher of hearts. 
and will accept nothing less than your entire devotion to the work and consecration to Himself. Do you want to make that commitment today, friends? Oh, beloved, do you want to commit to the Lord, whether it is the first time or you've done it many times in the past? It's important for us to do it often. Actually, we should consecrate ourselves to the Lord every morning before we do anything else. Beloved, do you want to recommit yourself to the Lord today and say, Lord, I am devoting, I am choosing to give my whole heart to you. Please, Lord, make me willing to be made willing. We don't realize, friends, how much God needs to do for us in order for us to be saved. We don't realize it. He cannot do what He needs to do unless we make a full commitment to Him. And that's the only way you can pass the sifting process. And if that is what you want, please, please, friends, pray with me now and let us ask the Lord to be the King of the, th- the throne in our hearts so we may pass the test and go home with Him when He does return. Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, again, we thank you so very, very much for your love for us and your mercy towards us. We thank you so very, very much for Jesus. And because of your gift of Jesus to us, we have an opportunity to be among the redeemed, to be saved. We're learning, Lord, about this sifting process, and it can be very hard. So, Lord, we pray for grace. We pray for strength. We pray for that strength that will help us to overcome the mighty temptations that come upon us. Help us, Lord, to keep looking up to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to keep our eyes heavenward. And if we fail, we fail in the process, we pray, Lord, to show mercy upon us and bring the test to us again and prepare us. Prepare us to pass that test. We love Jesus we fail and we're weak so give us the grace we need please Lord so we may ultimately win that crown of life not because we've earned it but because Jesus has and he shares it with us thank you Lord for hearing our prayer for we ask it in the name of Jesus for he is so worthy Amen